Welcome to Why Am I Just Finding This Out? I'm your host, Kristen Stovern, women's health clinician for over 20 years, practicing in all areas of women's health with a passion to educate, empower, and leave a legacy of better health for women. Hello, and welcome to another podcast of Why Am I Just Finding This Out? I'm really excited about talking with Sal Jeffries today. He's across the ocean from us and has some very insightful information that he provides on his podcast with his clients and as he helps coach and mentor others. We've already started talking before the podcast and I had to tell him stop twice because what he was saying was such amazing nuggets that each of us could learn so much from. Sal, thank you for taking the time to speak with me today as we have a huge time difference with you in England and me here. Hi, it's absolutely lovely to be with you, Christine, and looking forward to sharing with you and your listeners some hopefully some interesting thoughts. Sal, can you just give a brief description of what you do? And I would love for you to tell them where you live. Yes. So for my friends in the States and overseas, I'm in a small city on the south coast of England. It's called Brighton. It's very diverse. There's a huge community here. It's a very wacky place. And I'm lucky. I'm touched by the ocean and there's a, a small mountain range behind me. So it's not quite as glamorous as the, the big mountains in the States, but it's still sweet and British. Is that where you grew up? Nearby. Yeah. Nearby for you guys. An hour in the UK, that sounds a big deal. I know in your America, that's no big deal. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> South Coast area. Okay. Very good. So tell me about your line of work and your passion. What leads you each day and what you do? My passion is figuring people out. Now, I've been on this journey ever since I was a kid. I've always been curious, like, how do we tick? How do we work? And cut to the chase. So the more recent times, I've worked with what we call mental health and psychology, Mm -hmm. emotional health, how we feel about things, and physical health, particularly in the fitness domain. Like, how do we move? And I'm absolutely intrigued about how we can look at this, what I call an ecosystem approach, like an integrated approach. Rather than an atomized or a separate, you would go to your health coach or your physio or your mm -hmm. psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't address them as a whole system, sometimes it's like we haven't brought every part of us along for the ride. Beautifully said. And it's so interesting as a clinician myself and in healthcare for multiple decades, your psychological well-being, your mental health is your physical health. They really are not mutually exclusive. And without addressing the underlying psychological impacts that patients have, women have, all people have, we really miss the boat because we can't truly be well and go towards a path of health without addressing that. I primarily have females in my audience. There are some males, but with women really wanting to have a way to figure out how to take care of themselves and their bodies, where the healthcare system fails them, where they don't have the preventative approach. They don't have that holistic approach easily accessible to many of us. And we have higher rates of depression and higher rates of anxiety. You throw in all of the difficulties in our society and life that really makes us all vulnerable and makes achieving health challenging. When you go about trying to assist others and advise them on how to navigate through that, what are some of your techniques or your ways that you think through that process to get to a more healed self, a healthier self? That's a good question. I think the first thing I try to do is expand someone's worldview. So if they come to me in a coaching or therapeutic capacity and something's not working, that's why someone comes to a coach or therapist, something's not working, then I'll understand their story. How do they see the world? What's their worldview? And then I'll encourage them that they're 
Well, worldview is, is something that's curated through life, through our upbringing, through the culture we're in, through media, and yet it's fluid. So we need to be careful that we don't think that it's real and absolute because it's quite a fluid thing. And when I invite people to consider that actually, if we do the mind work, the thought, the story stuff, and yet catch up with the emotional, how do you respond emotionally? What does your body do? And treat it in this kind of ecosystemic way. Then we start to get connection. Christian, I think one of the issues I see with health, both in an individual and perhaps in a more wider setting, is this disconnection from someone's mind and their body, disconnections between someone's psyche. There's a part of me feels great and part of me feels ashamed about myself. So if we can create that integration, that connection, generally we start to heal. Heal is, is a piece of the word health, right? And it needs to come together. Otherwise, a fragmented piece, it just doesn't work. So the first is worldview. Let's understand the mind, our emotions and our body are one set of expressions that are, are all interrelated and they're not separate. So when you start walking through that conversation, it's hard for me not to say the gender differences. So females and males, we're not the same and we don't respond to those stressors the same and our needs are not met in the same ways. How do you see those fundamental differences between males and females when we're talking about how they cope with their day-to-day -day life? And I would love for you to go back to what you started talking about before we started recording. We were talking about, I'm a mom, I've got three kids and a dog. And when you have children, which is not for all of us, but when you have children, you feel like they're a piece of the good and the bad of each of us. And it's hard to not feel guilt because they maybe have an attribute you wish they didn't have, or you wish you would have done something differently. And maybe they would have had more happiness, a better life, better choices. And it's really hard to let go of that guilt for myself as a mother. And many women, I believe, feel that way. So the gender differences, when you think about that and how you navigate that, what do you really feel like those are and how we deal with our stressors? So for women, there is a bias towards, not an absolute, but a bias towards guilt. So when I'm working with my female clients, there's often something they're guilty about, like you've already alluded to. And that's heavy. Guilt's heavy. It's heavy in the mind. It's heavy in the body. And it's heavy because you're dragging past stuff with you. It's like a backpack of rubbish, I call it. On a male, so in the male domain, it's more shame bias. So when we get underneath us blokes, us uh, men, <laughs> what are we afraid of? We're afraid of stuff like feeling weak. We're afraid of feeling not masculine. All these things, that, again, culture's kind of created. It's a social construction. What it means to be a man is a concept as well as the physiology. So there's a lot of shame in the male domain. So knowing that these are these kind of overarching biases, I'll go and I'll inquire toward that quickly with a person. So if I'm working with one of my female clients, I want to get closer to the guilt and I want us to get closer to the guilt because what we're afraid of, if there's shame connected to the guilt as well, and that meta emotion, we want to de-shame it. We want to pull it out of the shadow and go, okay, that's interesting. You have guilt. In, in it, perhaps I, I'm something quite clinical in a way. Like, it's interesting. Right. You have guilt. Right. Let's yeah. understand what's the guilt story. Let's name it. What's the emotion? What's that physiology? What happens in the somatic system, the body system? What do you actually physically feel when you have the experience of guilt? And what's its purpose? So a little bit of psychological kind of origin tracking. If you understand what's the purpose of guilt, you understand it has a validity, and yet you can check, is it current? Because if you've done something wrong, hence, that's why we feel guilt. If you lose something, you feel sadness. That's what that emotion is for. But if you're carrying the emotions inappropriately because they're a habit, they're an echo, they're cultural labels. We can 
be more accurate. And I'm infused. I do. I've done yoga for a long time and a lot of the Eastern arts. I'm very curious about being with something as opposed to pointing at as something else. So if you're with your guilt, it's much easier to work with as opposed to trying not to have guilt or feel guilt. Mm-hmm. And particularly as I've got so many of my female clients, they're mothers, they've got businesses, they've got relationships. There's a lot. And there's often a lot of giving in the female domain, a lot of care, the mother mm-hmm. archetype. Mm-hmm. And that's great right up until the point that care doesn't come back to yourself. That's right. And then that's it's, right. okay, so how do we kind of self-mother in a way? And it's an interesting question to get into. But I try and look the through the three lens. What's the story that you're holding? What is the emotions around it? Are you ashamed of the guilt? Are you scared of the guilt? Because that meta emotion is really tricky. What do you mm-hmm. feel about the feeling? Mm-hmm. And then what's the physiology of them? Mm-hmm. Now, how do you move when you're in a state of guilt? Where's your eye line? Do you hide away? And another thing I'm fascinated with is our stress response pattern. So for all your listeners, it's simplified for sure. But there's four spaces we'll operate out of a stressor or a problem. Flow fight, flight, and freeze. And we'll be one of these kind of neurological domains, depending on what's going on. And that could be work, could be the kids, could be business. Something's going on and we're responding to those experiences. Flow state is, of course, we're socially engaged. Everything's lovely. I feel safe. I feel I can be me, hopefully guilt-free. If we move across into the sympathetic nervous system, we're in a fight-flight response. And you're either moving towards the challenge which is fight, or you're moving away from it, which is flight. Other people use the word anxiety for flight. It's it's so everywhere in our culture, all in the Western world. And then we've got the freeze response, which is leave me alone. I don't want to talk about it. I can't deal with it. In the medical community, they will call that depression. Neurologically, it's a shutdown state. It's called dorsal bagel, the technical term. So I'm interested in these states because when we understand that we have psychological states, emotional states, physical, we can start to be with those states in a conscious way, as opposed to riddled with depression or riddled with guilt or riddled with something and not understanding what's actually happening to us. And, and that's overwhelming. So that was a lot to unpack, but it has to speak to so many. And what I was thinking whenever you were going through flow, fight, flight, dreams, when I see women come in and they're talking about irregular menstrual cycles or heavier bleeding or hot flashes or bloating or headaches or acne or depression or anxiety or fatigue, lack of energy, all the things. Cyclically, we change hormonally and our dopamine changes, serotonin changes, the way that we psychologically feel and respond changes based on where you are in your cycle. And certainly based on perimenopause and menopause, which that's a longer conversation to relate those things. But what's important to unpack here is that many times majority of those that I see, and I would venture to guess majority of people have a really hard time looking at themselves in the mirror and seeing the emotional, psychological impact and how it's affecting them physically. When they come in with a physical complaint or when you have someone who's having trouble losing weight or difficulty sleeping or having a difficult relationship with their partner and arguing a lot, maybe not getting along. There's so much more to that when you're talking about flow, fight, flight, dreams, freeze, right? Those are all responses that we have naturally and society's taught us to respond in anger or silent treatment or I'm not supposed to let anybody know this is bothering me. I have to act like everything is okay. And then you throw in how your body is functioning at that time. And it's just another curveball. And I would think that for the male gender, yes, you cycle every couple of hours, we cycle in lunar months. And so how you respond in the day and 
a few hours for a male changes, but it doesn't negate the fact that you still have that fight, flight, flow, freeze. It just looks differently when you're also looking at how your body hormonally is functioning. And I love that you brought it up in the way that you did, but there's the brick wall. How do we get people past that? Okay, great question. I'm a pragmatist in this. I can be as esoteric and into the all the kind of interesting <laughs> stuff, but I think when we can help someone understand something. So I believe that the greatest minds in the world are the ones that can interpret really complex things and make it simply expressed. Express it simply so most people can go, "Okay, thank you. I can understand that. I can work okay. with that." Okay. So my intention is always to decipher things from like cognitive philosophy and neuroscience cuz it's technical stuff and say, "Well, right. Here's how the brain works and let's help you understand that. So that helps you understand your psyche and that understands how you're behaving this way. So I try my best to dump the jargon, make it simplified. I'm very sensitive to women. My partner's in perimenopause. I've done podcasts on menopause. It's a big topic. And as a man, as the experience of menopause, it's another whole topic. But I witness the cycles, both in Mm -hmm. my personal domain and my professional domain. And Women get a tough deal, right? I, I'm just going to call it because you have so many hormonal changes. The mm-hmm. chemistry set will change your mind. It literally mm-hmm. will change your biochemistry and your brain. So we have to understand that, I think. And I, I can only say that as an ally, not an experiencer. I'm a man, so sure. I don't know, but right. I can be with a woman when they look at that. I think what's interesting is we have such an issue around looking at symptoms, certainly in, in our country. When you go to the doctor and you've got this problem, you've got a back problem, you've got a menstrual cycle problem, and they'll look at the symptoms and try and medicate the symptoms. And they don't look at the symptoms and they misunderstand the etymology of like signals, signals, Mm -hmm. significant signs. They are Mm -hmm. signs to show us something. And if you're looking for a place in your hometown, Missouri, or if I'm in Brighton, I look for the sign to tell me which way I want to go. The sign shows us. I think if we don't look at the sign, whether it's psychological, emotional, physical, Mm-hmm. We miss the point and we miss, I think, the opportunity to go, okay, maybe what I eat is affecting my body. Mm-hmm. Maybe my inability to deal with my relationship problem is affecting my sleep and mm-hmm. hence my work. So mm-hmm. if we don't look at the sign with a sense of interest and we try to get rid of it because it's discomfort, mm-hmm. that I think is a big problem I see. And you know, most people come to my practice because they're in some kind of difficulty or pain and they want to get rid of it. Understandable. But it's there for a reason. Even if it's maladaptive, if we can understand its origin, we can understand its reason, then we can get to a better state of healing as opposed to the expression of band-aiding the problem. Right. So for those that are listening and just wanting to maybe not go in and figure all this out because it takes too much time and it's complicated and so they want to avoid it. Do you have a simple approach? I use that loosely, but if you had someone say they need to deal with whatever these stressors are and you give them these tools, okay, I would like for you to do one, two, three, what would those be? Okay, And I I realize that's a generalized conversation, but that's what happens. People get too busy. And if you would just say, okay, I'd like you to one, two, three, if you could just do those three things for me, let's revisit where you are. In another couple weeks. Absolutely. And there are three spaces and it's all biased around the work that I do. But I'll say, Mm -hmm. I want you to look at three things if you're having a difficult time. And that's your story, your state, and your structure. So to flesh that out, our story is, what am I telling myself about this situation? Whether it's difficulty with partner or feeling guilt about the children. What is the story I am narrating to myself? Because when we look at the story, like we watch a movie or read a book, we are a witness to it. Whereas if we're in the story, we're on the stage or behind the camera as the actor. So what's the story? What am I telling myself? Go to the state. Where am I? As a breathwork trainer, 
breath is a mediator of the stress response to do with how oxygen and carbon dioxide levels and blood acidosis and all these different things. If you are chest breathing and mouth breathing, you are in what's called sympathetic nervous system. You're in a fight flight response. And for most of the time, we need to move towards that regulated response. So if your breath state is shallow breathing fast, nasal breathing, diaphragm breathing, because the breath is going to be a mediator. And this comes from the yoga arts, as well as the latest technical understandings. The breath is the mediator between the autonomic nervous system. So breath is conscious and non-conscious. So the brain runs the breath and we can also breathe how we want. So we get interested in what's my state and just simply using the breath as a tool to say, oh, I'm, I'm shallow breathing. I'm anxious. I'm, oh, I want to get out of here. I'm feeling really angry. So do, what do I need to do with that state? And for most of us, we need to create some space yeah, to get the smart part of the brain to come along and go, what do I need to do? And then go to the structure, the body. If you have tension in your shoulders and upper traps, and there's a lot of nerve innovation there, which fires like the flinch response. We all know this. If a bee comes towards your head, you're like, oh, gosh, you'll flinch. It's hardwired. But a lot of us have got a flinch response on constant, shoulders raised, neck tight, jaw muscles active. So check your physiology. How are you standing? How are you sitting? Is your spine curved? So this simple check through. Asking about your own stories, like talking to yourself, as if in the mirror. What's my state? What's my breathing? Where's that at? What's my body doing? It grounds you. It makes you deeply present. It connects your psychology and your physiology. And it brings you out of cycles, you know, behavioral cycles, because you've just stepped out of that, that whole story you've been telling yourself to check mm -hmm. it. And then you can probably more intelligently, more effectively Challenge if you're saying, I'm a bad mother or I'm no good, all these things we might say to ourselves, or it's really stressful. Is that actually true? Is that story even true? Probably mm -hmm. not. Oh, that's better. <laughs> now I can breathe a little easier. Mm -hmm. Can I just control my breath? And if you learn one thing, learn nasal breathing and diaphragm breathing, right? If you, one thing I teach every human behind me, nasal breathe, diaphragm breathe, you will start to gain control of how you breathe. And that changes so much how you feel. And check your body. Because what's happening in the body is being fed back to the brain. It's called interoception. So if we can align those three, nice and simple, you don't need a clinician, you don't need a coach, you can do it yourself. There's only one thing you need to do, and that's remember. Yeah, so remember that simple act. And then the next one is take action. <laughs> right. You know, own the action. And that would be my thing to spread far and wide. It's the one, two, three tool that we can all use. I really love the simplicity of that, but also I felt like I was in a therapy session just then because I started <laughs> breathing and really thinking about nasal breathing, diaphragm breathing. What is the story I'm telling myself? What's my body doing at that time? And taking that moment to check in with yourself when you're having that high anxiety or that difficulty or whatever it is you're coping with in that moment. We're not going to climb that mountain and overcome that obstacle right that moment, but what we can control is what we can, can control. I tell patients, this is something that comes out of my mouth all the time. And with the nurses that I work with and my colleagues, when they're upset and they're stressed and they want to have something go a certain way, you can control what you can control. And you can't control what they're doing. You can't control how they react. But you can control how you respond and how you carry that. So we may not like whatever this is that's happened, but if you can step back and not allow yourself to become part of that story, of anxiety, stress, anger, frustration, then others will feed off that energy and everything will come down. That's not the society we live in though, right? 
So true, but we, remember, I'm going to say that the human system is an adaptive system. We look yes. at brain science, we look at yes. physiology. You go to the gym and lift weights, you'll get bigger muscles, right? We all know this. You run down right. the road quite a lot, you'll get good at running. So if you do yes. learning, you'll get. We are an adaptive system. Yes, and we will go one or two ways. We'll either expand or shrink. I'm simplifying. <laughs> sure, but, sure. But if we think, oh, this habit of my life keeps happening. Okay, do, go do something different. Go figure this out because it's right. your life. It's so precious. And we can change to the adaptations we give ourselves. I would say that our life is biased against us. It's not easy living in the 20, what are we, 21st century, the 2020s. <laughs> it's a weird world, right? It's got yes. so many privileges, but nutrition, diet, stressors, pandemics. There are so many things that are being attention deficit, all these things that are going on. Uh -huh. But it is the world that we have. These are the times that are ours, as they say in existentialism. And I think the important thing is to get conscious. That's what the yoga masters taught me. Become conscious. Can you make choices? What can you do? And that's, I think, a really powerful gift. And that comes more from a yoga teaching. Mm -hmm. But there's so much we can do. And what I find interesting, so a statement I find is that I, or I use is that resistance is suffering. And it's normally like if we're resisting, I don't know, a diet change, we're resisting going to the gym, we're resisting dealing with difficulty. Actually, it's the resistance that's the suffering. Going to the gym's easy. You just go there and lift the weights, right? But it's, oh, I don't want to do it. I don't feel good. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So actually the resistance, if we can remove that, which is blocked energy, then we normally get something good. So if you're suffering, there's probably resistance. And if there's resistance, there's energy. It simply needs to be freed up. Okay. For those of us that just like to have an A, B, and C in life so that we can move forward. It's true. Most people say, okay, what do you want me to do? And I'm going to do it. I'm going to write it down. So we're going to start with story. So if you say, I really want you to stop and think, what is the story I'm telling myself? You have someone who doesn't have the time or the money or the resources or access or what is something simple that can remind them each day as a check-in or something timed for them to check in on that part. So on that step one, what story am I telling myself? What's a tool? Yeah. The tool I would say is what story am I not telling myself? The reason I'm, it's so contrasty. So if you're mm -hmm. telling yourself I'm no good, I'm useless, I'm never going to get this job on my business is not going to grow. My relationship is never going to get whatever story is. What's the story you're not telling yourself? What about, well, actually, maybe I could get that job. Maybe my relationship could get better if we had a conversation. And sometimes when we almost flip flop our way right, right to the opposite side, we get this very contrasty view of our story. So what right. am I not doing? What am I not telling myself? So if you're telling yourself, you're no good at something, you're not telling yourself you are good at something. And I almost guarantee you're good at something. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a human being. Everyone's good at something. Right. So if you're in the dark shadows of your mind and giving yourself a hard time, go mm. the other way. Where are you great? And I don't mean in a sort of a positive, happy, clappy way. Just be really aware if you can. And the other layer to this would be, what would you say to your best friend, person you really love, if they were having that story about whatever it is they're saying, what would you say to them? I think I like because that even better because majority of us, again, speaking from a female perspective, really are unable to see or say the positive about ourselves in that moment. But if you say, what would my best friend say about whether I'm a good mother or not, or whether I made a bad decision just then, or whether I'm a nice person or whether I'm likable or whether people want to be my friend or whether I'm smart or whether I look good in this outfit or whatever nonsense that may be, which is a reality for a lot of us. I love that. So your story 
Maybe you would have a mantra or something written down on a sticky note on your mirror or on your phone, a reminder that says, what will my best friend say about my story right now? Perfect. And that's a corrective action, hopefully, that quickly you turn yourself around and what your thought is. So when we go to the state, which we talked about breathing, just simplify this for us. What is nasal breathing? What is diaphragmatic breathing? Okay. And how do you trigger that? So you're in your car, you're stressed out, you're mad. Yeah. How do you do it? Some people can't nasal breathe because of obstructions in the nose. So assuming that if you can't, then you can purse your lips. But if you take big gulps of air breath into your mouth, you'll generally get an upper chest lift. If you've got an upper chest lift, we've got a sympathetic nervous response, i.e. we're moving towards the stress response, which is active, overmobilizing. For some people, it's anxiety. For some people, it's anger. So if we want to get some steadiness, breathe through the nose. It measures the breath. It slows it down. It also delivers nitric oxide, which helps open up all the veins and the bronchioli. It's a fascinating little molecule, but it's also connected wired to the diaphragm. Now, the diaphragm, if you rest your hand on your lower belly, if it's safe for you to do so while you're listening, breathe into that space just below the belly button. Now, first, it takes longer to breathe there because you've gone down into lower lungs. Secondly, the neurological wiring that comes in there to the brain has roughly 80% of the fibers going up. So if the diaphragm is active and calm in its movement, it's telling the brain you're in a safer, safer experience, you're okay. And another little sweet spot is I like to think from a fascia point of view, the heart actually sits on top of the diaphragm with some fascia. So I imagine that the heart sits on this beautiful super king mattress, which is all lovely and <laughs> smooth. <laughs> oh, it feels nice. And it's got a playful image. We don't get too caught up in the neurology of this, but know this it has been well studied. And we now know if you get control of diaphragmatic breathing, you are in charge of your nervous system's response. And there's many medications that might try to do that. You don't need it. You need breath. Breathe in through your nose to your lower belly and breathe out slower than you breathe in. And repeat. So you can repeat that as much as you need. I will repeat it for around 10 times. Yeah. And by the way, you can breathe anywhere. You're always breathing, <laughs> whatever activity you're doing. So it's a go-to. And no one will ever look at you. So we can lose the self-consciousness because everyone breathes. But this control of how you feel is so pivotal because if you're stressed, if you're all in your head, it's another way to get into your body and also just disrupt that story. So you can talk to your friend, as you've alluded to. We can start to breathe consciously. And then we can get into, oh, I'm already connecting to my body because I'm breathing. So are my shoulders tight? Are my jaw muscles tight? Yeah, little triggers where the vagus nerve runs through. Am I looking down, which is a very, I'm in my own thoughts. If you lift your eye line and look up, you will exter- you'll put your vision outwards. So you're expanding your conscious ability. These are simple movements of the body with profound effects. And the irony is that often because it's simple, it's overlooked. doesn't mean it's inelegant and it doesn't mean it's ineffective, but it is simple, but we forget. So those would be my go-tos on our story state structure tool. So the state, we're going to work on breathing. Right now, we're going to ask our best friend if they think those thoughts. And then after you answer yourself that, you're going to stop and you're going to breathe and you're going to connect with your body. And the number three is the tension in your body, which is what you talked about with releasing your shoulders, your jaw, letting everything go, really relaxing your body in that. If I were to suggest something to someone when they were in this state is if they had the time, if they could do an activity that triggers that parasympathetic response, which could be going on a walk and you're watching the horizon, because we know that if you're watching the horizon, that triggers the parasympathetic response. It can be 
stretching, yoga, something with calming environment. It could be swimming for some people if that is a calming action and you're not trying to do a timed swim. Engaging in a physical motion where you don't have to think through the process helps you realign with your body as well. And so is there an amount of time that you would say, okay, if I engage in these activities, this is how quickly I can get my body to decompress. So would you say that's 10 minutes with that five minutes? What is that if you're doing active motions, so if you're walking, you're doing yoga, is there science behind that on how long you need to do it? There's probably some studies, but it does seem to differ. What I would caveat this is that try this out. As with all tools, you need to shape this and make it your tool. So for okay. some people, down regulation is great, and we need to control the breath and just steady mm-hmm. ourselves, and that's wonderful. I have found, though, for some women, particularly perimenopausal women, you need to express the anger. So if we suppress it, it's a problem. So I personally do boxing, as well as many different things I do, and that permission to safely express something it's something, again, in our culture, certainly the Western culture, I know in the British culture, but I believe in the American as well, that it's not okay, that anything is not okay gets suppressed and it's a problem. So for some of us, and myself included, I have a bias towards an anxiety response. Under high pressure, I have gone out for a run because I've allowed that anxiety response to process. I haven't mm-hmm. suppressed it. I didn't try and mm-hmm. breathe it out. I was like, oh, I'm really quite anxious. I have to allow that to process. So I went for a run and I come back from the run and almost that chemistry and the biology mm-hmm. of all process through, right, now I can deal with this challenge. So I would just carry that play with this tool. But if you can't downregulate, if the tool of breath work and relaxing your body doesn't work, then maybe you need to safely express. So if you're anxious, it's a flight response, go run or at least walk because that will process the psoas muscle will start moving. Our body will start to give permission to flee. Because if we don't have permission to flee, we can move into a shutdown state or a free state, which is tantamount to trauma. If we are angry, and I've had this with in my personal space and with some of my female clients, they haven't had permission to be angry. It's like, that's a terrible idea. Because if we suppress anger, that's it's not going anywhere. It's just buried in the body, which causes all sorts of dis-ease. So expressing anger, and that mm-hmm. might look like jumping because it's a powerful move. It might look like mm-hmm. boxing. It might look like punching the pillow. But one of the things to try with this is to be curious. So with all tools, they are, what they call them in tech, white label. <laughs> so you get the white label tool for me here, but I'm not going to say it's like, it will fix you, but this is the profile that you can then take and make yours. Or my nan used to knit, my beloved grandmother, and she used to knit things. And it's a bit like a knitting pattern, I guess. You look at the pattern, but you might change the colors or make it a bit bigger or a bit smaller. Mm-hmm. So use the pattern that we're giving you, but make it yours. Try it out and go, how do I refine this? Mm-hmm. Because it's really interesting when we get elegant and interested in our mind, our emotion, our body as one system, so mm-hmm. much more comes on. I call it compound interest for the people who like money. If you save some money and you've got compound interest and it makes interest on interest, mm-hmm. this is how when I feel when we integrate this change work of these three states or these three spaces, good things happen. I love it. I like the simplicity of it, although it's certainly not simple, but in order for us to actually engage in change, to bring down that stress response, we need something simple, simple tools to easily integrate into our lives. Otherwise, majority of us aren't going to do it. And so if you're doing stay where you are and say, ask yourself, what story am I telling myself? Then what is my state? Where am I? And third, where is my body? Those seem pretty simple. You could actually just have those three words framed on your wall or as your phone screensaver, someplace that you're forced to remind yourself that it's okay to check in and take that moment 
and it may be more healing than anything else you do. So as we conclude, which we could talk for hours, but everyone listening can't listen for hours. And so I want to give them (laughs) nuggets of something to improve their lives because the goal really is to leave a legacy of better health for all of us. And in particular, I want for the women out there that have felt unheard, not listened to, dismissed, to find a way to be heard. In your world, in your opinion, in the ways that you see it, what is the way that we can find a way to be listened to and felt to be heard? So we went through our three steps and now we want to do something proactive and we feel that we are in talking to somebody, whether it's a clinician or a surgeon or a therapist or a friend, a neighbor, whatever, and you do not feel like you are being heard. What would you say? It's so important, isn't it? If we are not heard or not seen, they go together, then we're not validated. It's so powerful or damaging depending on how that's happening. I think it starts from lead. So if you are with another person, one of the things it seems to me is that most people make statements. I this, I that, lots of statements about them or their life. When we ask a question, it comes from the word quest. It is to, to quest, to seek. So a question is a vehicle of attention. So if I was to say to you, hey, Christine, how was your meeting earlier today with that person? Do you want to share how that really went? Um, it's very different to how are you, which is not a question. It's just a noise. So asking a great question, get Ooh. someone to pay attention. Wow. It's a noise. Okay. Say that again. We all need to hear that. Okay. So it, it always starts from position one, assuming the other doesn't have the skill like you. So ask right. a question. Yeah. Okay. And a good question, a question, not make a noise. I know in the States you say it and the Britain we say, hey, how you doing? Or hi, how are you? Actually, what that is, is almost like a verbal dance. Because when you actually say to someone, certainly in Britain, oh, I'm actually feeling awful today, they get very uncomfortable <laughs> and run away. Right. So they're not actually asking you a question, just making noise. And it's a bit yeah. like you have to, your cell phone rings and it has that kind of ringtone. Uh-huh. So then ringtones. So if you are wanting to be heard, model yeah. hearing, ask a question. Model hearing. If you want to be heard, model hearing. Okay. In case you're wondering, I'm writing this down. I'm writing this down because that's something that I need to have that put on a wall. Yes. The thing with this is that we often need so much. I can relate this to my own life when I've struggled to speak up. I'm a man, so I've got the stuff around. If you speak up, it's shameful. done years of work on this. So even now, those imprints still come up about, is it okay to speak? And it's Mm -hmm. a weird thing that we all have. And I've Mm -hmm. done my work on that. If I want her to hear me, and I just start blurting out lots of noise. Instead of asking a question like, really good question about how she is or what was going on with her thing earlier, then I'm starting to give what I want. I'm starting to not be needy. And generally what happens because that other person's heard, as long as they're a reasonably decent human being, they'll go, oh, and what's going on with you? And you're like, oh, God, let me tell you. And it's been a mm-hmm. whatever. So that modeling is powerful. The caveat here. For those, particularly women who are more people-pleasing and kind and generous, watch out for the energy drainers. Because once you open the door who they want to talk about themselves, they're broadcasting, ah, making noise. And that's where we want this powerful thing to say, I just need to slow you down a minute. I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I'm going to leave this conversation now. i got to go. And take power. And you can do it gently. But yes, communication is very powerful. It's a skill. I had never got taught it at school. We just learned what we learned. Mm-hmm. And in my family, we didn't speak that well. I've had to do all the learnings and adults. Mm-hmm. But if you model what you're after, I almost guarantee at some point, the right people are going to hear you and go, oh, wow, that was lovely. Well, thanks for asking that. That's really nice of you. 
And how are you? And what's really going on with you? Because the generosity, those channels are open. I feel like that's a beautiful piece of advice for all of us. And I needed to hear it as well. Being reminded that when we model what we want, we're more likely to receive it. And interestingly, most of us were not modeled that in childhood or in the relationships that we have. So then you've got to figure out a way of learning how to do it, to model it. I also love that you said broadcasting. So if someone is just giving it all their information and you don't want all of that information, they're just broadcasting whatever it is, that may not be the time that you need to engage in the technique of asking questions in a way that you want to be heard, but more how to close that conversation down. People pleasers are not good at that. And those of us that had difficult childhoods growing up and tumultuous relationships. We weren't taught any of that. And certainly in the school settings, we weren't taught any of that. Learning that skill is going to take time and practice. And we can practice with those that we love the most every day in our homes and around us. And just before you say, hey, how are you? How was your day? Which is an automatic thing to say. You say, hey, I know you had a super busy day. Did your meeting go well? Did you have time to get something to eat? What'd you have? Anything interesting happened today? See anybody? And then that dialogue changes because that's probably what you wanted someone to ask about you and how your day is. So I feel that could really help a lot of people just hearing that advice. And I hope they're taking notes and going to consider some of these pieces of advice that are nuggets that are golden. So I do appreciate your time today. Sal, I hope we can talk again soon and we can help heal those that have difficulties with the mental health aspect that then migrates into hormonal health and full body health, that we can hopefully bridge this feeling that we are not each worthy of feeling good, being happy, being whole, and having the tools to stay there. So I really appreciate your time today, Sal. You're very welcome. It's an absolute pleasure to come and join you. And to all the listeners, yeah, I hope you try that on. And of course, do feedback through the various networks and how it works. It's always good. All we do is keep an eye on the the feedback of what people do. And yes, I'd love to hear how it goes. Sal, can you tell people how to find you? And if they wanted to connect or learn more from you, could you just share the easiest ways to reach out to you? Absolutely. Yes. I'm, of course, in our modern world, I'm connectable anywhere. So you can get to my website. There's a contact point on there and you can drop me a mail. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram. I'm sure you can leave the, the handles on your show notes. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, if you do have a question, I'm always open to questions because I'm a voracious learner. And a question is one of the tools I use. And yet it's also one of the things that gifts me when someone asks me a great question, I'm like, oh, that's good. I need to understand <laughs> like, how can I work with that? Because uh-huh. It's a real privilege when we ask questions and have great questions asked. Yeah, do reach out. I love that. And thank you for being so open to listeners and those that want to learn more. I think we have a great audience of people that are trying to seek a better realm of better health and happiness. And so hopefully we can both do that in the best way we can. Imperfect. I don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination and nor do you. We are just career learners. But if we can help you in some way, we're happy to. And I will add in the show notes ways to find Sal and reach across to his area of the world and the country that he is in and find out how he is advising people there. And maybe we'll learn from you. So thank you again. And hopefully we are leaving a legacy of better health. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of why am I just finding this out? We are facing a crisis in women's health. It is time to be seen and heard. It is time to address medicine and wellness for women holistically And whatever we do, let's strive to leave a legacy of better. Thank you. 
This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult your healthcare provider.